You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is my good friend, my dear friend, William Gallagher. Hello, how you doing? I am fantastic, and I'm so glad you're here. It's two weeks into the year already. Don't say such okay. things. You know, when I'm talking to you, the time just goes. Okay. What are you getting me for Christmas? It hasn't gone that quickly yet. It's two weeks into the year. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. I'm starting up the new Philips Hue lights or something. You know, get in early. Ah. <laughs> do you like Philips Hue lights? I do. My own sole problem with them, and we have quite a few in the house, is they're not quite bright enough. Uh, things like the living room uh, stuff, we need a, a lamp or two as well. Uh, so I'd like them a little bit brighter, but of all the home kit stuff I do, uh, Philips Hue has been the most reliable. So Interesting, yeah, interesting. I like it. I, you know, I have a couple, I have about five of their bulbs, and I don't use a single one. Oh, right. That's what you're getting me for Christmas then. Send them over. Sorted. 120 volt bulbs for England. Yeah, you'll like that. Oh, oh and they, uh, they have the screw thread instead of the bayonet thread. So no, you'll really get on well. Well, actually, our house is old enough that, yeah, that would be a problem. Uh, more modern houses in the UK also use the screw fit thing. Um, Do they, really? I'm not going to move house. Yeah, I'm not going to move house. for. Oh, no, I actually, I bought a whole set of adapters so we can use uh, um, whichever way around it was. Actually, I can't remember which bayonet to screw or screw to bayonet. We can do anything here. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, we've got a while to fix it. You sure? You're I'm, right. I'm okay. just stunned that you can do anything, but... Um, I, you know, that is right. a, that Two is a common criticism ago, amazing. Of, of, of the Hue lights is that they just aren't bright enough. And that's something that Hue's addressed over time, although I don't know if they've addressed it sufficiently. Uh, my philosophy has always been to put the smarts in the wall switch as opposed to putting them in the bulb. And my reasoning has been that if you turn on and off the switch when the, when the smarts are in the bulb, then it means that your bulb no longer gets power and can't respond to commands. But if you put the smarts in the wall switch then it works just like a waltz, which has worked for the past century. And oh, right. no, but in that case, uh, US housing is an issue because I think it happens that British design has whatever it is that's needed to keep power to it, but US ones, you can be there or not, and it's expensive if you haven't got it. Um, no, I, I'm not sure because when I... In any case, there are in-wall switches for England. Yes. And so maybe that'll yeah. be my gift to you. That's nice. I've got a birthday coming slightly sooner. But I'm sorry, I led you down a path there because uh, uh, we actually have a nice video on Apple Insider about the new range of bulbs and they look very nice. I just, you don't know till you get them home how bright they are. So that was what was on my mind. And that's sorry a for totally valid concern for people. Yes. Now, let's talk about something that you and I have talked about in the past. We've thought a lot about this. A new patent describes the use of applications across multiple screens, such as iPhone and MacBook Pro. But it also seems to suggest that Apple hasn't completely ruled out the possibility of a touchscreen MacBook Pro. Yes, I wrote the story about this on Apple Insider. So I read the patent application and actually of all the Apple patents I've ever read, it was the most phenomenally complicated to understand. Uh, but right there in the middle, really clear, was this thing that it did include a description of how to do these various things it's describing with a touchscreen Apple laptop. I actually think it is just the patent writers uh, doing this thing of making it as wide-ranging as possible rather than mm -hmm. Apple really tipping the wig. But it's right there, plain as day. Right. So that's what you, what you just said is the truth, that when you write a patent, when, you, when you've 
come up with something that you, you've invented that you think is patentable. You want to be as comprehensive as possible. And you do this so that, for, for a couple of reasons. One is defensive, where if someone else does it, then you can say, nope, sorry, you're violating our patent. You're infringing. You have to license it from us. You have to pay a, a fee now. And the other thing is, is, and of course, if you go to court, there can be punitive fees involved in that too. The the other thing is that if some of the claims are, uh, what's the word? If, if some of the claims are struck down, for example, mm-hmm. the rest of the patent can survive if you've done enough. Oh, no, I didn't realize that. Okay, I thought once you'd pierced the uh, uh, patent, you were safe or could do what you like or something. But it's um, uh, more compartmental. Yeah, yeah. No, no. If you, so when you make a patent, you make several claims of what you're covering, and yeah. you so you write down not just the implementation that you you invented first, but all of the different variants of it, and all of the different applications of it, so that you're really covering the whole thing comprehensively. And if one of those claims gets struck, the rest of the patent survives. Yeah, um, I've just looked up this one, and there are 22 separate claims within it. And actually, that was the, by far. Uh, look at the scroll bar on my screen. The 22 claims, which are very detailed, take up less than a tenth of the length of the page, not including uh, 50-odd diagrams and things. It's thorough, this thing. Yes. But in there, you know, there's this, uh, I, I'm on the side that doesn't particularly want a touchscreen Mac. I have a friend who has a touchscreen uh pc and actually when she uses it uh, it's good i like it but i wouldn't myself so what about you where do you sit you know it's it's a tough one because i just there have been times where i've touched at my mac screen after using an ipad for extended periods of time yes, yes. i think we may all have done but mm-hmm. it's i i work more efficiently personally through the keyboard and trackpad to be fair, this patent really is uh, intended to be chiefly about using multiple devices together. And that does include, at one point, a laptop with a trackpad, how you can use the two together. But mm-hmm. I tell you, it gets into very complicated and, and, of course, if you're using um, something like Duet Display, you know, then you could use your iPad and touchscreen, essentially, your Mac display. Yeah, actually, there's a whole section in this about uh, using two displays where... Uh, the patent is for a way to determine where your focus of attention is so that Ooh. if you are watching a video on a big screen but you're controlling the playback on your iPhone, for example, it knows where to display the information. Right, where know. does the controller go versus where does the video go? And and also where audio exactly. should route. Uh, there's nothing that I noticed in audio about this, but yes, no, that's no, the but idea. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the, the issue. And, and we see that today as yes, you airplay Apple data TV. Goes. That's true. Good point. Yes. Okay. Very cool patent. We'll look to see. And of course, if anything does develop there, we'll tell you all about it. Now, last week, we told you something that happened with the FBI, didn't we? Yes, we did. Has the FBI been doing things again? Well, they don't stop, do they? Uh, well, Especially not once they have a, a case to prosecute, right? Or, or, or an investigation. Sleeps. And okay, neither does yes. the FBI. Okay. Which may explain some of their reasoning here. Um, so... The, the sum of the story is that there was a shooting in Pensacola last year, and the uh, uh, alleged actor there had an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7. And the Justice Department first reported to Apple that they had one of those devices. I think it was the iPhone 5, but I could be mistaken. And Apple provided the iCloud data and, and help with that. And then two months later, something like that, the Department of Justice, the FBI, came back and said, 
oh, there's also this iPhone 7. Can you please help us with that? And Apple dutifully provided all of the information that was available in iCloud for that. And the FBI said, no, 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 no. We want you to unlock these phones. Unlock both of them. And what Has was Apple's response? there been a response? shift change at the FBI since uh, 2016 when Apple last refused to do this? Or they just genuinely don't know what Apple's going to say? I think they do know exactly what Apple's going to say and that they they just want to see if public uh, the the public sentiment has changed and aligns with them now and they can maybe do better than they did last time. That's interesting, isn't it? I do think Apple did a, a very good job of explaining it. I think I said this to you even last week. That's such a complicated issue, such an emotive issue, and Apple explained the longer view really well right. before and presumably being positioned to have to do so again, or attempt to do so. Right. So the, the Justice Department and the FBI are asking for the same exact thing that they asked for last time, and they're using some of the same language. For example, a, a Justice Department spokesman wrote in an email, Apple designed these phones and implemented their encryption. It's a simple front door request. Will Apple help us get into the shooter's phones or not? Now, last time around in 2016, when Apple said that, that no, they were not going to write special software with a back door for the Justice Department, the Justice Department responded saying, we want a front door. We don't want a back door. <laughs> okay, I missed that, actually. So, right, is there, is that just an FBI-created term, or is there it, a technical thing called a front door? There is not. Okay. I mean, well, if be. we think about this analogy, if we think about the, this, this analogy, right, if in your home, the back door is the door that you, the homeowner, tend to go through, right? The front door is the door that you might open for guests or solicitors or, you know, whatever. Right. The, Anyone who comes very knocking. very different in the UK. Yeah. The back door is when you head out into the garden. Right, and, right. Uh, so trash. In, in, uh, but, yeah. but no one, no strangers are coming through your garden door, are they? No, that's, well... Not recently, not that we've noticed. I mean, Worrying me now, it's not locked. In okay. in typical British society, in in among homeowners, no one no one just wanders into your garden, and comes through the back door, do they? No, I no. have an urgent need to say that by the time anybody hears this, that back door will be locked. Okay, carry yes. on. Yes, and and but if someone were coming to your home and wanted to, oh, I don't know, sell you something like new windows for your house, they would mm -hmm. they would knock on the front door. Yes. They would, yes. If you had and guests coming to the house, if you had people coming over for tea, what door would they enter through? Oh, absolutely the first, because we've, yeah, we, uh, we do, rather than tidying, we dump everything towards the back door. I'm revealing too much here. Yes, the front door is, is the nice door yeah. for visitors. And so that's what the Justice Department is trying to, to twist around here is that they don't, they don't want something that is the back door, that is, that is the, 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 um, non-public they want they want a, a nice open front door invitation okay now the thing is is that the justice department knows full well that unless apple changes ios and exposes everyone that yes. that this is not happening that this is actually impossible and further right this this is because this is something that doesn't exist the justice department is asking for it as if it were something that already existed and could just be handed over but it doesn't this is something that would have to be custom written for the Justice Department. And the people who want there to be a law that compels Apple basically are saying that they want the government to be able to compel Apple to do work for free. Right. Now, what, what is it called when you, when you force someone to work for free against their will? Uh, them being a writer in, in a very bad economy. No? 
Well, I suppose so, but I was aiming at something a little more incendiary. Okay. Uh, with my Writer's Guild hat on, let me just say free is not an option. That's a current campaign. Yeah. But yes, I see your point. It's, um, what is it? what's the word? Uh, uh, Servitude? Um, Servitude, thank you. Is that, um, is that a good word? Another one. Yeah, that works. Can you think yes. of another one? Uh, there's something about forcing something. Um, I can't think yeah. what the phrase is. But yes, it's uh, altogether untoward. Yes. We'll say with that. Yeah. yeah. And... You know, the question then is, is the Justice Department spokeswoman either ignorant or lying? And and you'd like to think that people at the level of being Justice Department spokeswoman are not ignorant. So there's Well, actually, that. I think you may well have misinterpreted something here because there is a front door way in that does already exist. Because this week, uh, don't you have the articles of impeachment of the president and there was this... Um, extra evidence and that included a slew of information taken from somebody's uh iphone but that somebody mm, no. actually handed over the phone ah so okay. that person elected to give the information that's a, a front door all criminals should just be nice and handed over and unless that of course sorted. the uh, law enforcement has already rendered them unable to log into their phone right oh, or to be fair i understand some criminals actually shoot their iphones I assume in some sort of protective manner rather than just annoyance at Siri today. But yes, so yeah, <laughs> there's a range of possibilities. There is. Now, President Trump tweeted, as he tends to do frequently, and by the time this airs, by the time you're listening to this, he may well have tweeted again. He may well have tweeted 20 times or more since that, since we've recorded this. But he issued a tweet, he posted a tweet that said, oh dear, I had it open here. Um, we are helping Apple all the time on trade and so many other issues, and yet they refuse to unlock phones used by killers, drug dealers, and other violent criminal elements. They will have to step up to the plate and help our great country now make America great again. To be fair, now, that is no. the U.S. president supporting uh, the FBI. Which, Wouldn't any president have which, done something like that? Well, so that's interesting because this particular president has not been entirely supportive of the FBI historically. Yeah, that's true. I'd forgotten that. Ah, so so yeah. that's interesting. In in which is it, right? The FBI are these terrible bunglers who are completely unfair to him, or they're doing great and, and Apple's the bad guy here. That now there's something else here at work which I think is interesting to comment on. We are helping Apple all of the time. They will have to step up to the plate and help our great country now. So what kind of, of an arrangement is he suggesting there? Because it feels to me like he's saying that that this is an arrangement where he's he's sort of saying we have done this and now we are asking for that. Yeah, I mean, not to go too far down the political side uh, of this, but I don't. This doesn't feel to me like a Ukrainian quid pro quo thing. This is um, it's just you know talking about all the times he talks with Apple. I just I don't think it was a contractually specific kind of thing. Um, but, you know, uh, I am all the way over in UK, in the UK and we have our own mess of problems. So I do miss a lot of the uh, detail in the States. Yeah. Well, this this is a very tra transactional tweet, let's say. It, it, that's how it reads to me. But this this is the, the issue. Uh, Apple denied the Department of Justice requests. Uh, U.S. Attorney General Barr has basically said that Apple hasn't provided any substantive assistance on this investigation. Apple rejects that characterization. Uh, Trump does imply this sort of 
this for that tit for tat relationship with his administration. And his mention of trade and so many other issues suggests that Apple should respond in kind for favorable consideration in the ongoing China trade war. Actually, we can cut to something here. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, um, the way this worked out the last time was that Apple yeah. refused and Tim Cook vowed to fight in, in court. The DOJ withdrew its demands just before the court showdown that would have set legal precedent over this. And so the question is, either the DOJ believes now that they can set that legal precedent and things will go their way, or they um, are, are just willing to take the risk and go forward. Okay. And I would I would say that it's a very you know, you, you, it's a different set of people in charge of the DOJ than there was back in 2016. It's a different um, different approach to governance. And so it, it remains to be seen what will actually happen here. I expect Apple's position to remain the same. The question is whether the DOJ will back down or not. Right. Well, interesting to follow, I guess. And, you know, one of the, the questions is, would they be heard in a, a court with a judge that had been appointed by Trump? And if they had, would that change things? It shouldn't. It, it shouldn't. But that's a question we could ask. I feel like I'm heading out of my depth at the moment on this one, so I'm well, just nodding so at you. Well, the, so the, let's, let's uh, talk about the technology side of this for a moment, right? This is an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7. Yeah, you'd think criminals would be more up-to-date than an iPhone 5. Well, I mean, there's that, but the FBI has recently accessed locked iPhone 11 Pro Maxes with Grayke's third-party tool. Right. So, so you think so the, the, an iPhone 5 should be a doddle? Oh, well, so first of all, everything up into uh, including an iPhone 10 was hackable because of a bug that was in the hardware. And so you could access oh, it. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past. And so... I'd forgotten that, sorry. Yeah, it okay. was scary it, thoughts. Right, So, yeah. which is what makes an uh, XS or an XR or newer so much better, is, is that those don't have that bug. And an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7, everyone can unlock those. Everyone, right? There is there is nothing that prevents the FBI from or the DOJ from using Gray Key or using Celebrite because they've all got these tools for phones that old. So the question is is um, what will happen here now? In the 2016 case, the DOJ claimed that they'd exhausted all their internal and external options, meaning that Apple's expertise was the only way forward, and that Apple had to provide the assistance and. They're claiming that again, even though last time they went ahead and said, okay, fine, we can get it. And they used Celebrite. Okay. So it doesn't really feel like a uh, technical discussion here. It is a political one. It, it really so. is. It really is. But Celebrite, for their part, was recently used by the FBI. Um, well, they were they have been used by the FBI, but they were recently used in terms of getting data off of the phone owned by Lev Parnas. Yes. Uh, and his fellow who, who did it in the end hand over the phone. So, yeah. yeah doesn't feel like a massive uh, security extraction hacking thing warrant worthy of a film it found it feels more like a well I mean so cut and paste. the the yeah. celebrate the question is did he give the passcode or fingerprint or face ID to unlock the phone or did he just hand over the phone but in any case celebrate was used to extract all of the messaging data from the phone 
including uh, encrypted messaging applications like WhatsApp. Something I like actually about this information is so in, in this modern world, that information is available to us all to read. I mean, it's redacted in parts, but uh, you can see the conversations yourself, read a, an approximate translation from Russian and things. I think that's fascinating that, you know, uh, not very long ago, that wouldn't have been possible. And now we can have the information, use it, and mm -hmm. understand what's going on in the world. That's cool. Yeah. Yay for technology then. Definitely. Am I looking for the... Po Last week, you were all about happiness. Am I the one trying to be positive this week? You want to talk about something that did make me happy this week? Depends what it is, well, actually, but guardedly, yes. <laughs> so Spike Jones is working on a documentary called The Beastie Boys Story. Oh, right. Yes. Now, first of all... Are you, you're a fan. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be remiss to say No Sleep Till Brooklyn or or Paul's Boutique or... Um, I could name uh, tons of Beastie Boys stuff no, that actually, I enjoy. I was going to say, I didn't know whether that was Beastie Boys or Spike Jones. Nope, stuff. Those, those are Beastie <laughs> Boys. Now, Spike Jones has done a number of things, but one of the ones that sticks out in my memory is the music video that he did for... Uh, Fat Boy Slim's right here, right now. Oh, is that the one that's uh, in a shopping mall and people dancing incredibly badly or yes. something? Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, things that make me smile don't have to be executed in, in with, with people dancing greatly, right? Okay, right, right. But it doesn't help, is what you're saying. I'm, yes. saying, I'm saying that that made me smile, that I like the Beastie Boys and I like Spike Jones, and I enjoyed this. And so the documentary is is basically the personal story of the band and 40 years of friendship. And it's through the, the lens of Mike Diamond and Adam Horvitz, an interesting story. And one of the things about that band, you know, so many so many bands cash in on um, the licensing of their music. Yeah. And the Beastie Boys have expressly not given permission to anyone to use their music for anything. I currently walk around our, our local supermarket wearing AirPods Pro playing my choice of music rather than the supermarket's one. So I, I would have missed if they were in Asda in the UK. But you're saying nowhere are the Beastie Boys. They, they have never allowed any advertiser to use their music. Okay, cool. I think. So that should be enjoyable. If, if, you, if you enjoy things like I do, that might be a good one. Um, Actually, sorry, am I right that Spike Jones uh, uh, did Charlie Kaufman's uh, Being John Malkovich? So um, that was that script in that film was amazing. Not certain how long ago that was. That was okay. definitely a good script, absolutely. But I'm I can't remember if you worked on that. We're going to say he did. Okay, sounds good to me. Right. <laughs> in addition to that, there's also going to be an animated series about a family of caretakers who live and work in New York Central Park. Um, that's going to be created by that's been created by Lauren Bouchard, who's the the mind behind many animated shows, uh, including Bob's Burgers. Um, it's going to have Josh Gad, Leslie Odom Jr., Titus Burgess, uh, Kristen Bell, Stanley Tucci, David Diggs, and Catherine Hahn as stars. Hang on, Kristen Bell. Yeah, uh, yep. she's in everything. It's great. Yeah, and she she is uh, the legend that is Veronica Mars. As well, among okay, other things, well, among it. many other things. Oh, actually, I have never tuned into a show or watched a film because of who was in the cast or even who's directed it. Occasionally, because of who's wait, written wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. So, uh, what about the Good Place? I just tried it because I fancied a, a new comedy. I was not bothered by her or um, Ted Danson, even though I assumed they'd both be good. Mm. And actually, they were. Okay. Yeah. 
And, and lastly, there's a docu-series called Home that takes a look inside the world's most innovative homes and unveils boundary-pushing imagination of visionaries who dare to dream and build them. I wonder, and this is just my guess, but I'm wondering if we'll see things like HomeKit in any of these things. <laughs> I was just trying to think what could possibly be innovative about homes that hasn't been shown before well, on the countless home shows. But yes. I mean, you've got home. you've got the, the marvelous swimming pool that's a third floor swimming pool cantilevered over a cliff's edge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, done that. Yeah, seen, that. seen it. Yeah. Um, so, home kit? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't that's know. That's a differentiator. But I'm, that well, would be funny. I mean, okay. you know, it would be, it would be, it would be certainly a way to expose people to the idea that here's this marvelous architectural work. And by the way, all of the outfittings respond to the owner by smart devices like HomePod. And to be fair, I think it's a way to get audiences because uh, aren't we all a little bit drawn into houses? For years, I've been hoping that um, HGTV's uh, tour of Suzanne Vega's New York apartment would be on YouTube or iTunes or somewhere. So, you know, I'm, I've been pursuing that and unable to see it in the UK. Uh, I, is it just me as a sucker for this stuff? Are you looking at me like it is? Okay. Well, there are many people who enjoy home shows. They're, they're easy fluff to watch. There's nothing controversial about them. <gasps> Um, and, and they're enjoyable. Social commentary. It's, it's like, that's what it's they like are. sugar water. It's candy. Drama. And that's okay. <laughs> Very character revealing. What? Who's tidied up the best. Yes. <sighs> or, or the, you know, the, the flip it kind of shows where it's the uh, love it or list it thing. You know, you, uh, you, yes. you a agree that if you don't like how someone redecorates your home, you will go ahead or remodels your home that you will sell it and have to move. <laughs> okay, I didn't know those. Oh yeah, <laughs> just knew. Well, that, that injects some drama into the the genre, right? Instead of just we're going to borrow this person's fantastic home and spend a night here and tell you all about it and all the features, kind of thing. Um, it's it's the drama of they're going to like what we do, and versus team, I'm going to show them a bunch of houses and they'll buy one and it won't matter. There was a patch here in the UK about oh God, 20 years ago now where there was a show called Changing Rooms, one called Garden Force or something, and they would come in and they would radically change a room or a garden. And it was quite entertaining seeing the, the poor person come back and Their uh, reaction. pretend to be pleased. Oh, yeah, oh so uh, there were some. We had one here called Monster House. Yes. So we had one here called Monster House, and Monster House is based on a show called Monster Monster Cars or something like that. And, and basically, the concept was that instead of remodeling it for something nice and sensible that you could actually live with, they would remodel it in some wild, unimaginable way, some like futuristic thing or, or something like that. And they did this to, uh, there was a couple where the, the man was an American and his wife was originally from England. She was British. And they remodeled a room in her house to have a miniature version of her English hometown. Okay. And I just, I said it was bizarre, didn't I? I mean, these are the people yes. that put like, you know how in old offices, the mail room would have these vacuum tubes and you'd put your mail in a vacuum canister and it would get sucked up to the 18th floor for you kind of thing. Pneumatic tubes. They put pneumatic tubes in someone's home. Why? Because okay. they could. They, they got well, a wind of the idea that the person who owned the home that had pneumatic tubes, that person must have liked UFOs since that was the most UFO thing they could do. They made a UFO coffee, coffee table and they put pneumatic tubes in the house. The, uh, so this, this poor woman, she came home to her house and her whole living room had been converted into a model of her British hometown. And she was crestfallen. She, she was like, well, I like it. I like my hometown, but I don't really want to live with it. 
why do you think I moved away? Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can go back any time I want. I don't need it here in my living room. <sighs> was it at least well done? Oh, it was, an, it was amazingly well rendered. But boy, okay. you could just see her, her face turn ashen and fall. Right. And that's how we do home show drama. Okay. <laughs> or at least it was until Apple. At least it was in. until that show got canceled many years ago. Yes. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So Apple might be reviving a genre. Um, I, I hope they do something interesting way. with it. But the question is, how do you make that draw out? Because you have to have an endless supply of really fancy homes that are interesting. And and you have to sort of define what's innovative. Yeah. They've all got hue bulbs. Doesn't last for two yeah. episodes, does it? Well, no, I boundary see pushing there. imagination of the visionaries who dared to dream and build them. Well, so sometimes what happens, I mean, this has happened a few times where a, an architect designs and, and builds a boundary pushing home and no one wants to live in it. And so the architect moves in. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. These these things are coming in the spring. The the Spike Jones Beastie Boys story is coming to Apple TV Plus in April, and it's going to debut along with uh, all of these other things. It's going to be shown a little bit at South by Southwest and in there's March. There's still no news of when Little Voice is coming. That was plugged heavily in uh, the March launch, and I'm really looking forward to it. But not a word. So. Well, well, we'll let you know when it does. Yeah, I will wake you up in the middle of night to tell you. Thanks. That's what Do Not Disturb is for. Oh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> now, we were talking previously about M. Night Shyamalan and his film, his, his show Servant. Yes. Apple and he are being sued. Okay. This Somebody is the just third, didn't like the show? This is the third, well, I mean, possibly it's M. Night Shyamalan. But there are, there are three shows now that Apple has had a problem with, right? Apple had a problem with the, the film that they'd made about the banker. Uh, the banker. Yeah. Yes. And, and that has yet to be released while they're figuring out what they're going to do about it. The next one was the problem with the documentary the, with Oprah, right? I didn't know about this one. What's gone wrong with that? Well, uh, Oprah had publicly announced that she's leaving that. She's taking her name away from it because she felt that it was being rushed so that they could show it at Sundance. And that's not something she wants to be a part of. She no longer supports the, what they're doing. Grief. Okay. That's, that's uh, huge. I'm amazed I missed that. All right. But, you know, these things happen. You had me on Do Not Disturb, and you missed it. That would be why. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Curses. I know. I'm just going to have to let Angela know these things, and then we'll find out. Uh, (laughs) Joe, I'm trying to work out what uh, Apple's slate is. I know they've launched 10 shows uh, in 2019. So three out of 10, 30%. I mean, there are more. But but uh, it doesn't seem an unusual amount to me. I didn't even tell you what Apple's being sued over for this. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yes. What's wrong with uh, Servant? Well, there was this 2013 film called The Truth About Emmanuel. Okay. I remember okay. it well. Yeah. Uh, and yes. the, the suit discusses in detail the similarities in tone, plot, and style between The Truth About Emmanuel and Servant. Okay. Both um, productions, both scripts involve a reborn doll being attended by a hired nanny. With similar themes and and similar filmmaking techniques, alleged. Okay, I mean, we cannot comment obviously here on a, a current lawsuit. I said I alleged. I said alleged. Of these. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I can tell you, uh, the same idea coming up in two places is 
preposterously common. I, um, I've written Doctor Who radio dramas and the way it works is you, you originally pitch them a single sentence so that they can come back and say, now nah, we've got 10 set in a desert, do something else. And there was this time when I had an idea I loved so much, I skipped all of that. I went, str I went several steps down the line, wrote up a uh, 2000 word treatment of it, emailed it over to my script editor. Seconds later, he emailed back saying, we love this so much we went back in time and made we, it. We, yeah, we made it thirty years, years ago. ago. Yeah, and when I looked up the one they'd made, the title was one word different from mine. Oh, it happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But there's more than that, right? So the similarities that the the lawsuit alleges include not just parallel plot points, but also strikingly similar and highly idiosyncratic characters, scenes, directorial choices, and modes of storytelling. So they're saying that that it's not just lifting of the story wholesale, but also these other elements and they they actually show shot for shot where things line up as well okay like there's there are several images here comparing left emmanuel right servant and so there's there's a little more than just you know the the highly coincidental but happens nature like you described and that happens in songwriting too you know uh george harrison's my sweet lord Oh, sure, yeah. He was sued over that because it had a lot in common with um, a 1960s girl group song. Uh, the Sam Smith song, uh, Stay With Me, was incredibly similar to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song. And in the end, Sam Smith had to recognize it and give Tom Petty songwriting credit. Okay. Tom Petty's quote at the time was something to the effect of, this happens, it happens to all of us, it happens in the studio, we just don't usually release it. A very long time ago, a friend was working on a series here in the UK and I sent her a script I was trying to pitch to that show. And she told me what was wrong with it and that basically it would never fly. Uh, within a year, she actually contacted me for advice on a script uh, that was set in a, an area she knew I knew about. Uh, it was the same area of the script I'd sent her. The characters were the same. The plot was the same. The story was the same. Whoops. Um, <laughs> it's pretty stupid coming to me about it. But in the same way, if you're going to plagiarize something, uh, a film that's been released seems like a daft thing to sit there with Netflix on making notes about. But yeah. we don't know what happened when. Well, also, her version didn't get made either, so she was right. But they... This isn't the first time someone has put Shyamalan and plagiarism in the same sentence. Really? I didn't know that. Well, in 2003, screenwriter Robert McElhenney alleged that signs had similarities to his unpublished script, Lord of the Barons, The Jersey Devil. The following year, 2004, Margaret Peterson Haddix discussed suing Shyamalan with publisher Simon Schuster over similarities between The Village and Running Out of Time, a novel from 1996. Author Orson Scott Card has also claimed that parts of The Sixth Sense were taken from novel Lost Boys, but he never sued. But it's okay. not the first time this, is, this has been raised as concern. So right. the, the party suing is Francesca Gregorini, and she's demanding all damages, an injunction against further production, recall of any inventory of the infringing material, supervised destruction of an inventory, disgorgement of all proceeds, punitive damages. Uh, Servants a series, isn't it? In fact, wasn't it, it coming is. back for a second run? So that's yep. multi-hour. Um, that's uh, an expensive show Yes. to pull. Okay. Yeah, that's that's well, not a small thing. Now, of course, when you're when you're suing someone and asking for damages, you and and, and of course I'm slightly out of my depth here, but the, the historically you ask for um, 
both a lot, but at the same time, you ask for things you can support. How have you been damaged and what's going to make what, what's going to make you whole? Sure. Right. So that I mean, going through those things, right? If you you were plagiarized, you would want an injunction against further production, right? You would want yeah. the infringing material to be recalled. You would want it to be destroyed. Yes. You would want the proceeds and, and you would want some kind of punishment to make it not happen again. Yes. My mind's gone to all the uh, at least hundreds of people who will have worked on that series. Yeah. Um, I suppose, you know, they were paid, but it's not the same. You work on these things to get them out and to then have it denied because of uh, an issue like this seems heartbreaking for pretty much everybody. So Definitely. Although I have a question about working to get paid versus working because you want to get them out. Um, you know, I, I think back to uh, there, there was Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. Had a rule in place later on in the, in the production of that where they would not hire any Star Trek fans. They only. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I see what you mean. I'm not talking about because you're a fan of no, no, they, horror or something. Right. Yeah. No, they, they only hired people to work on that show who wanted to work to, to for well, obviously to get it out, but not because they were Star Trek fans for the love of the Star Trek thing. They, they were working for the dollar. They were working to, for, to get paid. And the reason and, behind that was that there was a, uh, a person that they'd hired on, and he was a, a giant Star Trek fan, and he ended up filming with a camcorder after hours using bits of their set, and he broke bunches of pieces of their set doing it. And also just, you know, the violation of, of sharing the things behind the scenes unauthorized. And, sure. uh, and so there's, there's a sort of a balance there, right? That is not to say that pe- – oh, thank you. Yeah, it's not that people who work to be paid – have no investment. I was hired uh, to write on Doctor Who Adventures, a children's magazine, and it turned out that I got ex- obviously I know Doctor Who, but I was the only one who applied who applied because he wanted to learn how to write for children. Everyone else was a Doctor Who fan for it. There is, uh, you need the ability and you need the people to be focused on it, but those people have to be engaged or impassioned. It's, it's yes, I mean we've all taken on jobs in the media uh, because we need the money, but they only work if you are passionate about them so yeah um we saw this out because i was saying i felt sorry for all the people who worked on servant who might be uh who might never see their episodes air we've no idea if it will ever come to that but i guess we'll just have to watch the news and because this is a court case and we know with court cases things tend to take a while yes we will be talking about this in the future won't we yes i'll be watching out for this one i didn't know about this whole chain of previous i'm terribly intrigued by it now so okay thank you for that i think You're welcome yes that's all i have i've kept you for a decent amount of time i'm so glad you were here for me um is there anything else you want to bring up um i haven't bought any apple things this week so i think you're slipping or i'm just being benevolent oh okay right uh, which says benevolent means uh building up to doing something evil later doesn't it Good. it's not the strict Might. definition but i think we can take that <laughs> William, thank you so much. Where, where yes. can people find you on the internet? I will be watching a lot of Apple TV+, Plus, uh, but I'm on Twitter as W Gallagher and on uh, email as william at appleinsider.com. What about you? I'm V Marks on Twitter at victorappleinsider.com, and I have started another podcast. I know, oh. it's it's striking, it's amazing. Um, and it's, it's in Spotify. It's not in iTunes yet. I'm working on getting that up, but uh, it is... Um, you can find it through autismwho.com, uh, autismwho.com, or through anchor.fm, uh, autism15, 
I think it is. Let me tell you that correctly. Yeah. Can I make a stab in the dark that it might be about autism? It might. It might. So it's it's the idea is that we talk about one part of autism or living with autism in 15 minutes. So the first episode, we talk about all the things that happen before you get a diagnosis, how you go about getting a diagnosis for a person with autism. And the second episode, we talk a little bit about what kinds of things you do once you have the diagnosis and what sort of treatments are available and how to consider them kind of thing. Because that's, that's one of the things that is really hard when you're newly exposed to or newly get a diagnosis for someone in your family is, what do you do next? Good point. I have no idea. I should tune in that's, to find out. There you go. Clearly. So that's, right. that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And so now we've launched a podcast about it. In any case, thank you all so much for listening. And I hope to hear back from you with more. And uh, let us know how we're doing. I know we have talked about some difficult topics today. Uh, it's, it's not always easy to talk about them. But we try and cover things fairly and, and completely, even if we sometimes put some jabs in. So thank you so much. And we'll be back next week.